Welcome to episode 94 of Honestly Unbalanced and this week we're chatting to Julie Montague who's a television presenter, an author and a yoga teacher and her most recent series is called An American Aristocrat's Guide to Great Estates which is aired in the UK and the US. Julie's a founder of Whole Self Yoga that does 200 hour trainings and more and she's the author of four best-selling books, Superfoods, Eat Real Food, Superfood Superfast and Recharge, a year of self-care to focus on you. She's married with four children and divides her time between London and Dorset where she works with her husband Luke managing and developing the Mapperton Estate. So on this episode with the amazing Julie we talk about whether she's missed teaching in the centre of London and living there because she moved to her estate during Covid, how she started her yoga career over 20 years ago, why it's important to turn up and teach even if no one shows up to class, how Julie brought yoga into her parenting, finding ways to balance life, work and her own practice, whilst also acknowledging that the practice changes over time, how Julie tries to navigate her two career paths now with her online yoga and renovating her family estate, finding ways to be grateful in the day, and about Julie's latest renovation projects with rewilding and adding creatures to the estate to help with this, and how Meghan Markle's marriage into the royal family catalyzed a presenting career for Julie. Now, before you begin listening, you might have noticed that the podcast kind of looks a little bit different if you've seen our new title image, and it is. I've done a little bit of rebranding work. Uh, let us know your feedback on it. If you don't like it, to be honest, I'm not sure I can do anything about it because I've put a lot of work into it uh, and it's taken many hours and being a newish dad, I don't know that much time. But hopefully you do like it. We're trying to bring a little bit of lightness into the wellness world, a little bit of realness, some honesty, uh, some non-ego conversations. So we've decided to go for a brand that represents that. And our online platform is going to be under the same brand as well. Rather than the Hustlers, it's just going to be called Honestly and Balanced. But yeah, do let us know if you like the new vibe. And you might notice that in some episodes, Holly doesn't join me, simply because, again, as newish parents, time is a little bit poor. Uh, So sometimes it would just be one of us. But then when our little boy does go to nursery, we'll have a little bit more time to both jump into the conversations again. Uh, I've got some little perks for you, as always. You can get 10% off my favorite protein brand, Innermost. Uh, All of their protein, all of their supplements with code ADAMH-10, all caps, ADAMH-10. That's 10% off everything on their site. Use it. It's good stuff. And as always, if you want a new yoga mat, there is no debate. If you have the budget, get a life form and code HUSTLER10, H-U-S-L-E-R-10, will get you 10% off what are basically the best yoga mats in the world that I've used for so many years. And finally, Vivo Barefoot are the shoes that I literally have worn for the last six months non-stop on my feet, particularly uh, their trail shoes. Uh, They're just really good and really comfy. And the other day I tried to wear some kind of like normal shoes again and my feet weren't having it. yeah, if you've never tried them, head to one of their shops, borrow some off a friend. They even do actually uh, refurbished shoes in their pledge to be good to the planet. But yeah, code, all caps, Adam Hustler VB will get you 10% off anything on the Viva Barefoot website. I'll let you enjoy the podcast now, guys. Honestly unbalanced. Yeah, I mean, I was, as you know, Adam, I was there with you teaching at Triyoga you know, three to four or five times a week at Trioga Chelsea. And then pandemic hit, everything closed down. Uh, we And because uh, the historic house that we live in is uh, open to the public, things were still closed down, but it's very much a business. So we moved, you know, down there uh, in order to try to run the business down here, whatever we could, you know, to uh, because we still needed to bring in income. And yeah, sort of four years on, for, three years on from the pandemic, I guess. Uh, I spend most of my time down here at Mapperton. So it's, I've, 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 you know, before it was sort of one one day a week, I was down in West Dorset. And now it's more like four or five days a week. And I'm only up in London 
you know, two to three days a week. So yeah, things have definitely, definitely changed massively for me since the pandemic. What's your thoughts on kind of relationship with big city living? In the, you know, anyone who is in the yoga world needs to hustle quite a lot, don't they? They need to work hard, running around the city, going from place to place, private to private. That might still happen on the few days a week you're in London. But do you do you miss that hustle, as it were? Do you miss the energy of London? Or do, or do you like that separation now? Do you know, when I first started teaching, uh, you know, well, almost 20 years ago, I... I loved the hustle, you know, and it was before social media. So I loved flyering for my church hall yoga classes here in Wandsworth. I loved, you know, cycling to try yoga and, uh, you know, cycling to all my privates and auditioning for classes and, you know, being on the tube and going from place to place. And so energy, of course, London has this real energy, but I still am able to get back here and, you know, teach occasionally here and there. But I think for many of us after the pandemic, it was a time for us to sort of reflect on how much hustling we wanted to do. Maybe some people wanted to do more. I was definitely in the mind of thinking, gosh, this is quite nice, this lockdown <laughs> for a bit of peace. And I think I felt I wanted to incorporate that in my life a little bit more and so going back to a schedule where I was teaching almost every single day and privates here and there just wasn't on the cards anymore. I, I made that shift and I'm really happy with it. Now, it's not this to say that I don't miss my Sunday night classes at Trioga because that to me was like incredible energy and you know I'll see people and they're like will you ever come back and teach your Sunday night class and you know the answer is always never say never but for now no because I'm doing I've I'm I'm on a different path I still have yoga yoga is at the heart of everything I do but as you know Adam from yoga we're able to find different paths that I think yoga has sort of led us to. And um, that's where I am right now, focusing on uh, different sort of areas um, in my career. Sticking with the beginning of your career for a while, like you said there that you, you're flyering for your little town hall or church hall class. And I think when people look at anyone who is perceived to be successful, like any yoga teacher on social media that has a significant following, that is respected, that does big events, we often forget that there was a journey to getting there. They didn't just qualify as a teacher and then suddenly book to teach events, etc. There was a path. And of course, that path isn't particularly glamorous necessarily. And it's not talked about. And actually, you know, for many people that younger teachers might admire, there's no evidence of it because social media didn't exist <laughs> back then. No matter how far we scroll, we can't find evidence of it. So can you talk a little bit to that about how hard you had to work at the beginning to make yoga work for you and what your expectations were? I I do feel that I've worked I worked really hard and remember when I started in my yoga career I had four young children so I became a yoga teacher right after my number 4 child oh, wow. <laughs> um, was born so you know when I started sort of teaching I had a 2 year old when I started to properly teach in church halls I had a 2 year old a 4 year old a 7 year old and a 9 year old and this is how it worked everybody I would uh drop off my children and only two out of four went to the same school oh, no. so I would do one school run in the morning come back get on the bikes do the other and then take the youngest to nursery and what I decided to do was well I don't I don't think I can teach in a studio because I couldn't really commit to that because I had children so I thought well I'll be able to teach during term time and I'll rent a church hall two church halls near two of my kids schools and I went to TK Maxx I got you know, inexpensive yoga mat, <laughs> uh, belts, uh, blocks. I had two huge bags and I would drop off all my kids, get to the church hall and hope that people would come. Now, when I say hope would people come, this was before social media. I would, of course, put up flyers in the schools uh, that my kids were at, but it was much more than that. Ask any of my four kids what they remember. What, uh, one of the things that they remember about my yoga career was that I would pick them up from school 
at 3.30 and we would all, they would all have stacks and they would go and flyer and we would spend <laughs> walking Perfect. back from a run and they would flyer in people's um, letter boxes, putting in that I had two church hall uh, yoga sessions. Then, you know, sometimes people didn't come. Sometimes I'd have one, some, you know, many times, Adam, nobody turned up. And I've been asked that before, like, well, what would you do? I would just do my own self-practice. Mm. Yeah, it was a real hit because I'm spending 20 pounds on the on the church hall, but I never gave up because the second I wanted to give up, the next week I'd have four people coming. And it really started to grow. And I did this for a year and a half um, before uh, I got a phone call one day. And I got a phone call from the Power Yoga Company in Fulham. And they said, somebody goes to your church hall classes and recommended you as a teacher, would you like to come in and audition? And that is how I got into studios. I, love yeah. that. I can't imagine a day where someone just phones you. <laughs> I know, right? Or the contacts you've had, Twitter. Yeah. I, I, I love what you said there about actually teaching even though no one turns up. I think in... In this world, we want results instantly. We want results quickly. And I run a mental program. And that's a big conversation I had on that mental program as teachers, this idea that just book it out. You have to turn up. You have to be consistent. You can't run something for four weeks and think, oh, well, no one's coming. Let's stop it. It takes so long to build awareness. And even if people, even if there's seven people that love you, just by sheer coincidence, they might all have a dinner date with other people on that Thursday night, or maybe actually chances are of those seven, four know each other. They could be, you know, they could be doing something together and it's just, you yeah. have to just stick with it. And that's my biggest advice for anyone, I guess in any industry is be consistent and stick with yeah. it. Even if on the face of it, it doesn't appear to be working because at some point it just all comes together <laughs> and it all kind yes, of makes sense. And, uh, you know, and I've been asked the same question, like how I, I say to everybody, give everything a year. So give it a year and then maybe take the time to reflect. But I always tell people, you whatever you decide to do as far as your business or your yoga career, whatever mm. it is, give it a year. So if you're going to rent a church hall, give it a year. That that, that makes And that's, that's hard because that's a financial investment and a yeah. time investment. But you need, exactly. to, you need to do hard things, yeah. <laughs> don't you? Well, if you do what is hard, your life will be easy. If you do what is easy, your life will be hard. I like that. Do you think then yoga's helped you? Because I know your style of yoga is quite strong, quite dynamic. You've been inspired by like the Mark Khan, the Dharma Mitra styles of yoga. So it's quite quite hard, quite fast, lots of, lots of intense yeah. poses. And do you think the challenge that you found in that Help, has helped you deal with then the challenges of life because my view is that that is a big reason why we do yoga to create artificial challenge to prepare us for the stuff that we have to deal with on a daily basis so do you think yoga has helped you in that sense well absolutely I mean as I mentioned before you know I have four children and you know first of all having one child or is you know that is there are ups and downs with that, whether it's waking up, you know, for a week because your child is sick and you haven't got, you haven't had any sleep or, you know, you've got the stress of, uh, you know, whatever your child's, you know, going through, whether that's exams or friendships and, you know, whether it's one or whether it's four, I think being a mother, a father, or a caretaker of children presents its own challenges and you have to, I think, have uh, create a, a lot of inner strength um, in order to be that parent, to be that caretaker, because it's it's difficult. And I, for me personally, I 100% will always say that, you know, I feel that the reason that I've been able to, I think, raise my four children, you know, decently, successfully, is all because of yoga, because I was then able to be, I think, more empathetic and compassionate towards what my children were going uh, through. Uh, I was able to offer them breathing exercises, even though they say they didn't like it. They actually are now, they all like it. They all remember it. Um, and so, you know, even though they might've thought, well, you're crazy mom, these breathing exercises or these forward folds, now that they're older, they'll say, gosh, I'm so glad you actually did that. We still think you're crazy, mm -hmm. but we like it that you, that you taught us that. And for me, yoga gave me the, um, the tools to help raise my children 
in that compassionate, understanding, and I think empathetic way as a parent. When, when you kind of, you brought yoga into children's life, was it then via actually a talking about philosophy with them? Or was it more like doing forward folds with them? And then their way of being was just a byproduct of the asana? Uh, do you know, you know, when I started teaching yoga, as I said, they were quite young, two, four, seven, and nine. And so I couldn't necessarily bring in the yoga philosophy um, then. I, I can now, definitely, as they're they're older. My youngest is now 16. But, you know, a great example is when my youngest went to reception and I remember him coming back after the first week of reception and he just didn't have any friends. You know, he couldn't find a friend, didn't have a friend, and he was in tears. And I put him in a forward, you know, it was hysterical. And I put him in a forward fold. And um, so we went in a forward fold together and we're talking to each other upside down. And, you know, because remember, children will actually mimic what their parents will do. You don't have to necessarily say, hey, this forward fold's going to calm you down and bring blood flow to your head. They don't, they're not going to get that aged four. But if you go into a forward fold and say, let's have a conversation this way. Um, and I remember having a conversation <laughs> with him. Uh, about, you know, you're going to find friends, let's do some, let's breathe with me and you kind of count and they're not doing all the breath work with you, but they're trying sort of. And I said to him, do you know why I put you in a forward fold? Of course, I wasn't expecting, it was a rhetorical question. I wasn't expecting him to answer. And he said, no, 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 I do, I do, I do. And um, I said, why? And, and you have to remember, he's in this state right now thinking about friendships, how he doesn't have any friends. And he said, it's because the upper body never gets to see the lower body and they actually want to be best friends. Oh, oh, how cute. I know. How, so how it, old is he then? At four, four, five? So he was four when he said that. Yeah. Oh, that's adorable. So, so you know, for me, it's been <laughs> instrumental in my parenting. Yoga has been instrumental. And it's not, not just because I'm a yoga teacher, it's because I practice yoga. It doesn't mean, mm. you know, when you practice yoga, you're being fed um, you know, and being taught by your teacher, of course, these breathing exercises, this yoga philosophy that you can translate and um, transfer into everyday life yeah, as a student and as a teacher. It changes you, doesn't it? The long-term practice does change. Even even if the style of yoga, you know, the style of yoga might be overtly spiritual, it might be chanting or kirtan, but even I think if you just have a strong asana practice and you're dedicated and you fight your ego through it, it fundamentally yeah. mentally changes you over a 10 year period. And my wife and I always have this conversation that I'm probably tighter than I have been in many years, but my yoga practice is way more advanced than it's ever been. Uh, and things just yeah. come and it's all, 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 all is good. All, all is well. well Let, yeah. Let's chat about then the change, the change. No, actually not the change in direction before we move into changing direction to what you're doing now. I would love to know the approach you had to time management. Cause from what I can tell at a point in which you were bringing up multiple children who all had great demands for you. You were writing books, you had a blog, you were, mm -hmm. I guess, pioneering social media at a time when it was just emerging. You were teaching, I'm guessing, classes, teaching privates as well. Uh, yeah. How, and then, I guess, in the background, there's there might have been some of the house stuff, et cetera. Like, how, what was your approach to like time management? I'm looking for tips, in a sense. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, and, you know, the other thing is, is we didn't have nannies. Lots of people will have be like, oh yeah, no, you know, I, uh, you know, I had help when they were much, much younger um, when I needed it because I was working full time. So that would, this is before my yoga career. Um, and then, uh, you know, once I, you know, the story goes is that, and it is the right story. Uh, I fell into yoga because I was working a full-time job for a post-production company and my fourth was born and I was in Chelsea, Westminster and I had a huge, uh, and I, I booked this meeting with Discovery Channel on October 17th because only 2% of um, births fall on their due date. So I thought, and I knew, and I had three other children beforehand and they were really easy births. I was very lucky. I know that. And so I thought, no, I'll book this big meeting on October 17th, because either I would have had the baby beforehand and been fine, or I would have had it afterwards. But lo and behold, my youngest gets born at 12 minutes past 12 on October 17th. <laughs> so I have a meeting at 9 a.m. I call everybody at 6 a.m. on October 17th saying, I've just had a baby. I'm in Chelsea, Westminster, but don't worry, I'm going to make it to the meeting. Okay. So <laughs> So my husband then had to call everybody and say, she's not making it to the meeting. She needs to do. So 
it was that point, Adam, that I, that week I did two meetings in Soho without even telling anybody I just had a baby. I took a taxi to Soho, breastfed my baby, took a taxi to Soho, came back. My baby was crying, put him back on my breast, fed him again. And I was, everybody was like, you, you need to, this, he was one week old. I was like, you need to take time off. So I decided to take a year off and that is when I've really found yoga. So fast forward to sort of answering your question. I then found yoga, became a yoga teacher. And I had been, by the way, I'd been doing practicing yoga prior to that, but that's when I really sort of immersed myself into it and became a yoga teacher. And from that point, you know, balancing it all and writing these books and teaching at Tri-Yoga and teaching privates and then doing the school run. And, you know, you know more than I do that, or as well as I do, I should say that, you know, we survive as young parents off of little sleep. So I was writing my books, you know, while I was breastfeeding, I was writing my books in the middle of the night, um, you know, when a child was sort of next to me, sort of not really sleeping and, um, or in the middle of naps, I was teaching at times when they were at school. Um, uh, I was even teaching early morning privates at 6am before they even got up because my husband was here, you know, so I knew somebody was in the house. Um, and then I would even teach privates when they all went to bed and I would do like an eight o'clock private and you just, I hustled, you know, I really, really hustled, but I made sure that my children came first. And then I was able, when I had the, the, you know, time and, and the lack of sleep that I had, I was able to slot in sort of the stuff that I wanted to do my passion. It's, it's so harder than it now. I think, especially we're so aware of what makes us healthy in the long term we're so increasingly aware of the power of sleep the importance of sleep the importance of good diet the importance of rest perhaps more than we were three years ago and so you're i think we're playing with this duality now as we want to hustle and i want to hustle i could work all night but at the same time i'm thinking but i want to make sure i live a long time for my baby <laughs> so i have to weigh up do i want to like burn bright and die early and be like not been able to pick up any potential future grandchildren or do I want to like look after myself and make enough money to survive but be able to be with him every moment and live a long time to see him live a long time it's really hard yeah. isn't it to find that balance and I think increasingly so because we're so aware of costs we are and we're, we're so aware of costs we're so we're, we're aware also of our mental, physical, emotional, energetic well-being much more now than we were, let's say, when I sort of started on this journey because of the power of social media. And I, you know, what I always tell people is do what's best for you. If you, if you're a, you know, people will say to me, Julie, are you practicing what you preach about slowing down, not slowing down, but small moments of self-care or self-care? Because it seems like you're always on the go. And I, I say to people, but I do do what's the best for me. So I do a yoga practice. As you mentioned, Mark Khan, you know, he's been my teacher for years and he is, it is a hard practice, but I love it. Yeah. For me. And it's not that I don't do other yoga practices. I love Aram. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I will do, you know, other yoga practices, but I always make sure that I slot in time for me because that gives me the energy to be able to do, to continue to do all these things. But everybody is different. So some people might need more of those moments of self-care and longer than for me, how I am as a person. I am quite energized. I am, I have a lot of energy. I can't sit still that long. Um, but once I'm focused on a project, you know, then I'm completely focused. So I think it's do what's right for you rather than what social media mm. is telling you to, you know, cause there's a lot out there on social media, you know, five tips to get better sleep five. <laughs> and I think that they're great. They're great. Don't get me wrong. I like them, but they will drop with the people who need to see them. Yeah. And what I always tell people is that message on social media is great. It might not drop with you, but it's going to help other people. And that's okay. It's like a yoga teacher, Adam, you know, this, I might not be the right yoga teacher for somebody, but you might be the right yoga teacher for somebody that messaging might not be the right messaging for me, but it will land with somebody else. And it will change for their life. They will go through yeah. like an Adam stage and an Adam stage and then a Bakhti stage yeah. and a like, and I, I think it's important. You, you mentioned that the idea of practicing what you preach for anyone who is a teacher, 
you can feel guilty if you don't practice what you preach all the time. And I don't think that should happen. I think my, you know, your life, you, your life is going to be full of challenges. People will die around you. You might have financial issues. Lots of stuff could happen in your life, good and bad. And you yeah. can't always practice everything you're trying to teach people to do. And it's okay to understand what is good for someone without implementing it yourself. So for as an example, I know the best way for someone to work towards Hanumanasana. I don't practice Hanumanasana. I don't care for it that much. Uh, right. But I know, I understand it and I can apply it. I know the things that someone could do to optimize their sleep schedule. Well, one of those things would be not having a child, but I want a child. <laughs> so I'm not going to optimize my, my sleep schedule in that sense. So I think we, should, we shouldn't feel guilty if we, if we are teaching some things that we don't practice ourselves. As long as That's we right. believe in them and we're being vaguely authentic. Uh, and, you know, in yoga as well, you, we can all definitely practice the philosophy and preach it. Yeah. Like what we don't want is yoga teachers that preach a philosophy and then are assholes. <laughs> we, can, right. we, can, we can all practice that. But in terms right. of the things that take time, like asana or sleep schedule or diet, it's okay to deviate from those things, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's, it's exactly what you said, you know, when yoga teachers sit there and talk about the ego, but then all of a sudden you meet them and you're like, they have the world's biggest ego. They're not practicing, you know, really what they're preaching is exactly what you said. You know, I, you know, I was teaching Pinchamayarasana before I even knew how to do Pinchamayarasana. <laughs> That's because I was taught sort of in one sense, how you can, you can teach a bit of poses that maybe you don't like doing, or you don't want to do, because we, we get that knowledge that's been passed down from other teachers. And we're just sharing the knowledge that we've been, you know, passed down um, and, you know, sharing from Dharma Mitra or from Baron Baptiste or, you know, um, Jason Crandall, things like that being passed down. That's, you know, we're, yeah. as, as kind of, as an extension of that as well, not only can we teach things that we can't maybe do ourselves, but we can't imagine what it's like to be every human being. I can't imagine what it's like to be partially sighted. I can't imagine what it's like to be a seven foot man. I can't imagine mm -hmm. what it's like to be a five foot woman or unpegged, but I can still teach all of those people because I understand exactly. concepts. Yeah, exactly. How have you kept yourself grounded in a sense? Because of I, I think yoga, yoga teaching, of course, we're trying to dispel ego, but we can get like a guru complex. And especially if you're a popular teacher and people really love your class, you know, they can kind of like bow down to you, et cetera. And it can be, I say that as if people bowed, no one's ever bowed down to me. Yes, but, they have. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that, they don't even hug me. I've just got, not got, my default face isn't particularly hugging. But you, like it, it can be easy to put yourself on a pedestal or people put you on it and then ego develops and social media can make it worse. Then of course with yourself, you've had TV stuff, etc. You've been on numerous TV shows. Uh, how have you reined in ego when people around you might have wanted to build up your ego? Do you know, I, I, I mean, I hand on heart can honestly say I've never had an ego and that, and I'll, I'll tell you why I think, you know, I, you know, I like all of us, we've had, well, I think all of us, many of us have had some, you know, quite difficult life experiences. Um, you know, my husband was ill for, for seven years. And I think that that can be quite grounding and you appreciate then what you have. Mm. And so if it hadn't been for possibly that experience. And I think also for having four children, um, I, I probably could have had an ego. I think for me, um, going through uh, an illness with your partner um, and coming on the other side of that, um, navigating parenthood with you know four small children while your partner uh, spouse is ill, it's very grounding. So that to me, that's that's what did it. It wasn't tools that I put on board to ground me to ground me. It was, I have seen a whole other side of life and how life can be precious, um, temperamental, uh, so incredibly difficult. And so that when you get to the point that you have worked, you know, hard to, to you know, bring those students to try yoga or, um, you know, write a book. And it, you, for me, I didn't have any, ego for any of that because I always was grounded in that I'm lucky I'm lucky to be here I'm lucky to experience this I'm lucky to have this 
And do, do you have any kind of gra- like formal gratitude practice? Do you know, I, I, my formal gratitude practice, no. Do you know, I mean, I, I think, again, and I know I keep using my four kids. I'm so grateful for my four kids every single day and that my husband is here every single day that to me that sort of encapsulates all of and that's every day so yes of course i'm grateful that i have my cup of coffee and you know or my green tea or but there's a bigger there it 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 affected life affected me in such a profound way at a young age with young children that i just wake up every single day and think Crikey, I I am so grateful. I have four healthy children and a healthy husband. It's lovely, and I think that that must be as well a lot of just your personality type and upbringing that allows you to do that naturally. I think a lot of people that's not the case, and I think a little bit of a formal practice can really help. Like I'm I, Holly and my my wife and I are quite positive in many senses, but nonetheless we try and engage like even at, well. We do, we used to do it before we go to sleep. Now we just we go to sleep within a minute. Uh, but at some point, we do try and occasionally just be like, you know, three things you're grateful for today, or even just between ourselves, just saying, just always saying, oh, I love our cottage, oh, I love our son, yeah. I love the flowers, I love the pond, like mundane things. Because uh, yeah, cause, yeah, we, I think it's always important to acknowledge how far you've come. And I think a lot of us, especially in the self-employed industry, talking about work for a second aren't necessarily that good at that there is always a neck thing there's always a neck thing to work on and my wife often like slaps me and says adam look you've got like borderline 100,000 followers on instagram you're teaching like 20 different big events this year but i'm you know i i almost act like i'm a new teacher sometimes in terms of how much work i need to do yeah and i think well and i think it's because we've worked so hard to get to where we are that it's imprinted on us (laughs) to continue to 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 continue to work that hard. So yes, we're grateful for these events and that you know we're you know we've worked really hard to get to where we are in our yoga career, but it's hard to switch to turn that off to be like okay, wait. I'm just grateful for where I am right now, but because we have it with inside of us for years, <laughs> we've been on this path of, you know, go 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 and it's hard to sort of dial that down but of course it is good to dial that down we need to be able to dial that down in order to to smell the coffee sit and smell the coffee there's two there's two elements to what you're doing now beyond yoga there is the the tv stuff etc and there is also the property and the development of the property are you still with oh you froze for a second there uh the the development of the property etc so i just it's a kind of a random question to begin with regards to property like I can see that actually you're getting your hands dirty and probably doing things that you've never done before in terms of like like cutting bits out of windows and alike. Like how have you have you found that process quite relaxing to get like stuck in and actually not have a phone potentially with you and just hammer nails and alike? <laughs> yeah, it it well what it does is basically I mean I'm I, I call myself now a qualified decorator. I mean I can I can zinder, I can sand, I can patch, I can cut in, I can, I can sand floors, I can uh, everything. And I paint pretty well too. <laughs> so as in paint and ceilings. Um, so I think for me, it gives me an opportunity to, you know, really switch off from the phone, from emails, because I'm in the middle of a, of a big project and I have a deadline and I need to get it done. And I can't then be on my phone. I can't be on my emails. You know, so I, it gives me a great excuse to put the out of office. Sorry, I'm in the middle of a renovation project. I'll see you next week. Um, So that, but you know, it's, after the pandemic, well, I think for many of us, well, all yoga teachers, you know, we had that choice to go online and most of us took that up. So online over the pandemic was fantastic for me. But at the same time, as we mentioned at the beginning of, um, uh, of our conversation, you know, I moved down to the country and that's the first time that I really started to take on more responsibilities at our historic house. So I had sort of two career paths in parallel teaching online, which was going really great, doing teacher training online. And then at the same time, you know, uh, I have this historic house, it's open to the public and really getting my teeth uh, sort of sunk into it. And after that, once once we started to emerge out of the pandemic, you know, I had a choice to make and I had to make that choice. And that was, that was difficult. The choice was, do I go back to life before the pandemic 
teaching at Trioga, teaching my privates, doing my you know teacher training back in real person, uh, in real life, or do I focus on this other opportunity? And that was much more of TV, historic houses, commentating on the royal family. Um, and I, you know, I don't know if I made the right decision. I think I have, but you know, you always sort of, you know, second guess yourself. But I decided that the still to have yoga and still teach once a week online, but that's it. Um, still to and but continue of course my yoga journey with with my teacher mark and etc and, and other teachers but to really take on this challenge of this preserving this historic house and that's where i'm at right now and um yeah and you can't look back you know if you look back then you you know remember the past is a memory future is a fantasy and you've got to be either nowhere or now here and i choose to be now here yeah, I think we always, we need to make sure we're changing things up. I think the worst yeah. the worst thing for the human soul is stagnation, uh, and to imagine things would ever be as they were again. Like nothing's come back to the same since COVID, as far as I'm concerned. Everything's different. Some good bits, some bad bits, but everything is fundamentally different. Uh, so, what? Tell us a little bit about the project in the house at the moment and a bit of the history. So, it is so the Earl of Sandwich is your husband's <laughs> father, and yeah. he lives on the estate still, but in a in, in a vicarage, from what I understand. Yep. I do yep. some, I do some good stalking. Well um, done, well done. Not in person. <laughs> and, and, well done. and so what is the aim for the property? What's the long-term aim? So, so we have the, the Mapperton is since 2006, thank goodness Country Life uh gave us the accolade Nation's Finest Manor House and we'll yeah, use that. They? Yeah, we'll oh, take well that line to our grave. <laughs> um and because um, once you kind of get given the title of nation's finest manor house, they can't go around the country and find another one. Okay. Right. So <laughs> it were a, a historic house uh, that was built in the Tudor period. And uh, in 1540, the first part of the house is built. It's on a 2000 acre estate. And, and if you were to drop a pin in the most remote part of uh, West Dorset or really Southwest England, you'd land on us, which <laughs> is a blessing and a curse, a blessing because it's, there isn't a car in sight. There's no airplanes. You're literally, you're like, where even? It's beautiful. But a curse because, of course, in order to preserve this part of England's heritage, we need visitors. Mm. So we're not off a main road. We're, we're, you know, our biggest city is an hour and a half away. So we're not near a metropolis. And so it's all about trying to get people to come as visitors and pay the visitor ticket and visit the Italianate gardens and the house. But I think for Luke and I, my husband, you know what we're now doing is is really quite um wonderful uh within the 2000 acre estate we have just started rewilding so many of these sort of grand historic houses with land sort of the land of gentry they would have commercial pheasant shoots we don't have that and we are giving our land back to nature so we have our white park cattle which is some of England's most uh, ancient native species. They look like Texas longhorns. We just brought in, and they will do fantastic grazing. We have Axmoor ponies who will do the browsing. We have Tamworth pigs who've just arrived who will do the rootling. And then we have a pair of beavers who will help. And all of this together helps to not only sequester um, uh, carbon into the soil, but also helps to create more wetlands for the beavers, which will then create more biodiversity. And what we're looking to is to create more biodiversity and an abundance of biodiversity. And on top of within that project, we're starting to this year, uh, maybe by the time this, uh, this conversation comes out, we will be one of the first country estates to uh, have what's called social prescribing. So we will be working with the GPs in West Dorset. And so, uh, our aim is that before that before that GP sort of gives a prescription pharmaceutical drug, uh, they will have that person, that patient will have an opportunity to come to Mapperton and do a six six week course on what we what we call social prescribing, and that might just be a walk in nature. It might be helping us build things on the estate. It might help in the gardening, the gardening at the estate, so that they're and with other people, and so that they're immersed in nature before. Oh, what a wonderful the idea! Prescription of of pharmaceutical drugs. I'd never. I'd, I've 
I didn't know that was a thing. I I, I, yeah, I knew that I knew that doctors were increasingly kind of recommending, you know, do some movement, get outside, but I didn't know it had been formalized. Is that just yeah. that local authority that are doing it or is it nationwide? So we will be probably the first big county. And uh, I, you know, I'm, I, I wouldn't say, I, I can't say that I'm pioneering it, but I can tell you that my husband is. So my husband's um, been working in parliament for the past two, 10 years on the misprescribing of pharmaceutical drugs. And within this, we've decided to take the estate in a new direction. And we feel that there's a real opportunity and need for uh, people who are going through really difficult times but yet perhaps maybe, uh, you know, taking a, a pharmaceutical drugs uh, isn't quite uh, the, the uh, well, there's another, there could be another way. Mm. I guess so both, both, in, both, in, I was say both in terms of like even antidepressants for adults, but even for children, actually, it's probably so much misdiagnosis of ADHD and the like. Who, who, who's yeah. funding that? Is that from the NHS or is it an external body, lot of a? Well, I can't give too much away right okay. now, but there will be a big announcement um, uh, uh, this summer. A, so, yeah, what a wonderful, we'll be, people will hear about it very soon. What a wonderful thing. I'm sure there'll, be, I'm sure there'll be lots of people as well willing to donate their time to, yeah, to stuff absolutely. like that. I've had a fantastic idea. That's lovely. Beavers. Beavers are key. Aren't they? How did you acquire your beavers? Oh, that took a long time. Because they're that not, about... they're, sorry, they're, na they're, na they're native, but there's not many of them. That's correct, isn't there? No, because they were all killed off. Yeah. They were killed off for their glands and people, farmers think that they're pests and um, it's terrible and they're not pests and they're fantastic. They uh, help with flooding. They bring, they create wetlands, which then brings in more, more biodiversity. I mean, beavers are, you know, bring back the beaver. Mm. That's what we need to do is bring back the beaver. So right now we have our beavers um, in an eight acre enclosure. And they, so they have eight acres to move about, but the hope is hope that they'll have kits. And then the hope is that, cause we've all, we've had them for less than a year. Um, the hope is that, the, that they can in one sense be released into the wild. Um, eventually that's what will happen with England that they will be released into the wild. So there's a, there's quite a few um, uh, estates and places throughout the, throughout England, but they have, it has to be, watched and um our beavers did come from scotland so and yeah it's really exciting that's so cool Wol wolves aren't the next step are they well we have a problem with um with deer and as everybody knows so we have uh you know an oversupply of deer and so deer do need to be culled by us sadly when i say us the the uh population because the deer is can you know they're eating uh, there's so many of them that they're eating sort of, you know, the tree seed, um, uh, uh, they're eating the, the tree seedlings and, and they're in one sense, kind of damaging growth within mm. the environment. And of course, if you look at the food chain, the wolves were the ones that would, you know, um, sort of, uh, use deer would be their food and they'd be the predator and we don't have them anymore. And if you look at Europe, if you look at Italy in particular, you know, they don't have a deer population, deer overpopulation crisis because they have the wolves. Mm. So you could bring back lynx as well. Ah, uh, from what I believe there's a Scottish estate that has, that has introduced wolves. Is that correct? Have you come I'm, I'm... Possibly. I believe they're Maybe. I'm not I'm not going camping there, but I'm I'm pretty sure that exists. And I guess the Scottish wildcat would have. Yeah, well, I don't know. Is. Would but no, but there's but no, but there is a Scottish wildcat as well. I believe, and it's uh, yeah. and it's from that from what I understand, that cat is almost extinct because it's breeding with like stray domestic cats, uh, and it's renowned as one of the only animals that people have never been able to tame. Like a highly vicious yeah. tabby-sized cat, and then I guess the next fa the, the final stage of what you're doing now is all the TV stuff. Like how did where where did that come from? Like because naturally, you know, you're so good on camera, and I've seen you doing bits and pieces. You're so good, so natural. Has that come from yoga? But and then I say you've got a background in post production. Were you also in front of the camera at that point? No, you know, I think I think yoga teaching in front of people uh, has given you know public speaking. You know, it's given us all sort of that boost of confidence to be able to public speak and the confidence in uh, you know in 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 instructing. Right. So you take what you're instructing to your students in class, and it has to be 
um, succinct and it needs to be heard and it needs um, uh, to be, the sentences need to be put together the right way. You know what I mean by that. Yeah. And and um, and I, I think I've just sort of transferred that over into what I'm doing now, which is much more around uh, historic houses. I commentate for the Royal family um, through various networks on both sides of the Atlantic, but in particular with Sky. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to marry into, um, maybe not, uh, but for some, but I, you know, I married into an aristocratic family. And so as an American, I have a little bit, I think more insightful view on what it was like as an American marrying into, um, you know, sort of an aristocratic noble family. And so how that really started was Meghan Markle, American, married into the royal family. And and a, a lot of the broadcasters wanted to get my insights into, into that. Um, and it's really just sort of snowballed since then. And from that, it's, and I'm doing a master's right now in country house studies. So uh, that kind of combines together with sort of royal history and preserving these historic houses and and british history as well so it's just evolved from that and i love it and what what's do you have kind of a long-term aim with that do i have a what like a long-term aim or is it just take the opportunities that they come and enjoy each moment no i i definitely have so i started a youtube channel over well we started two youtube channels over the pandemic one was about matt and how uh, we were running the estate in particular over um, over the pandemic, and that's grown to 135,000 subscribers, wow. um, and which is brilliant. And then I started another channel called American Viscountess, and that's when I visit historic houses across the UK and their homeowner and their owners. So, like a living history, different from National Trust, because remember National Trust homes nobody lives in them anymore, and um, that has gone from strength to strength. And, you know, this year I'm filming at Barclay Castle, Alpen Manor in the Cotswolds, uh, Glums Castle, where the Queen Mother grew up uh, in Scotland, Schoon Palace, uh, Newby Hall, um, Castle. You've frozen. So, oh, sorry. You com you've complete you completely froze there. Uh, so I'll just I'll edit this little bit. That has out. a hundred from me. Really, I main focus. Ooh. Yeah, you froze a little bit. I don't know if you can hear me, but your camera's completely froze. Yeah, can you hear me? Hello, you there? Yeah, I don't know what happened. Yeah, just... your 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 camera froze, and then the 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 voice went a little bit jittery. So I'll just I'll oh, just uh, no, no no problem. I just cut that bit out. Uh, so I think the last question you answered was kind of the next step for it. I'll uh, what I'll do in terms of cutting in. I'm trying to think of a clean way to cut in. Uh, what I'll ask you is uh, let me ask a final question, not a final question, but let me start yeah. off with a new question. So is there any way for people to kind of go to your estate and get involved with what you're doing in that on that side of things? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they can you can look at mattbritton.com, but we're always looking for volunteers. And that can be our what we call our rewilding volunteers. Um, we look for um, house tour volunteers. Um, and again, same with the... Um, uh, social prescribing. Once we launch that, we'll be looking for volunteers for that. So, you know, we, it's a real community there. And we, the more, the more people that can involved, I think the, the happier and uh, better uh, quality of life for all of us. It will be. And then you've got, so you've got two YouTube channels, both which are doing very well, some TV bits and pieces. Uh, is it, yeah. would you like to have like the big, a bigger TV show? Cause I know there is, I'm sure across the pond as well, but a massive passion for people to learn about this kind of stuff. And I know it also acts as really good kind of hangover TV as well. Remember there was a, there was a, yeah. a TV show about English castles that became like a cult hangover 
show <laughs> show that people loved. But would you would you love something on a bigger scale in the long term? Well, I have to be honest with you, Adam. The, the YouTube channel is quite big, and um, I can't give too much away. But we, our content has just been licensed by a huge um, streaming company. And that's all I'll say about that. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I've got you early. I've got you early. You did. You did. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And so as a, as a, as a next step then, what do you want people to know about stuff that you have going on? We've talked about the estate. What are the YouTube channel names and uh, where can people find you for yoga? Yeah. So uh, first of all, you know, if you're interested in life on a country estate or how to preserve uh, these English uh, houses um, at well and British houses, I should say, um, uh, for the future, you know, you can look at Matt Britton live on YouTube and you can also look at American Viscountess on YouTube. So that's that's where I really, you know, that's become my main social platform, even bigger than um than Instagram now. So I just always have people just go to YouTube um, and, uh, and I do YouTube shorts, um, you know, but you can always find me on Instagram and TikTok as well. Julie Montague. Yeah. I've decided I've succumbed to the TikTok. So I there can't, I still can't do it. I still, I, a part of me is tempted to pay someone to do it on my behalf. I just can't be, I just don't want it on my phone. I, I'm scared. <laughs> no, just do all, anything I put on, on YouTube shorts. I just put on my TikTok. It works. There you go. <laughs> and then yoga, you, you're doing something while well, we're both doing a uh, famous gallery in London. Uh, so a remarkable space in Marble Arch. You've, we're, we're doing a few between us through the year. Uh, my wife's doing the sound stuff in my one. You've done one <laughs> event so far. How has it gone? So I did, I did my second one just on Sunday. So oh, I've you? done two. It's brilliant. Do you know what, for me, yeah, it works out so well because because I have so but a big responsibility down in, in Dorset, I feel that um, you know, I can't commit to, you know, a weekly schedule uh in real life. So do teaching there, you know, the odd month once a month is perfect. And it's such an amazing immersive experience. You're surrounded by the masters and all of their masterpieces. Uh and it's like you're in this fantastic sort of other world's bubble and it's brilliant. And then having all those bodies in the room, you know, whatever it is, 75, it's just great high energy and I love it. Yeah, so if that's Fameless London, if any of you fancy uh, fancy joining us there. Uh, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, yeah, is there anything you want to leave yeah. our listeners with? Well, thank you so much um, for having me, Adam and Holly. And um, <laughs> I, you know, can't wait to listen to this, but every, you know, anybody out there who I I think life after the pandemic has been tricky for many people, and in particular now. And my sort of advice to to when I when people ask me, "Gosh, I feel stuck," or "I just don't know what to do," is is what I said earlier on. If you do what is easy, your life will be hard. If you do what is hard, your life will be easy. So follow what you want to do. And it might be hard and you might think that it's overcrowded or everybody's doing it. There's only one of you. So they're not doing what you're doing. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Adam.